Merry Christmas! I wish you a Merry Christmas on the 5th of January, not because I'm calendarically challenged. I managed to change my calendar in the office exactly on the 1st. And I've even written the year of Perfect Vision 2020, ensconced on the dateline of a number of checks without a single cross-out. Yeah. Nor am I telling you Merry Christmas because I'm befuddled by staying up too late, closing out the 12th night of Christmas. No, I wish you a Merry Christmas because the festival of our Lord's Epiphany is our Christmas. The 25th of December, or whenever Jesus was actually born, is the Jewish, or better yet, the Hebrew Christmas. It was the coming of the Anointed One, the Mashiach of Yahweh, the Messiah to his chosen people. All the players of the birth narrative are Hebrews, right? Sons and daughters of Abraham, Zechariah and Elizabeth, tribe of Levi, Joseph and Mary from Judah. Matthew's Gospel begins, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The only non-Jews in the entire list are Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, and Ruth the Moabitess. And a Hebrew Christmas is apparent in our Old Testament reading this morning from the book of Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine. Those are feminine singular imperatives. Why? Because your light has come and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Your and you are again feminine singular, followed by your light and your rising in verse 3. Then your sons and your daughters, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. In the six short verses of this text, there are 13 feminine singular pronouns and six feminine singular verbs. So who is she? It's not in our text. But the string of pronouns continue on in chapter 16 until finally, finally, in verse 14, she is named. They shall call you Yahweh's city, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. She is Jerusalem. So it's not about us, the Goyim, those outside the people of Israel. But look what happens when the light does come to Jerusalem. Verse 3, nations will walk to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. They all gather together. And then verse 6, vast numbers of camels will cover you. Young camels from Media and Ephah, they will carry gold and francs. No wonder this is the text for Epiphany, right? He announces the arrival of Malchor and Caspar and Balthazar with their gold and frankincense and myrrh from our gospel reading. They all gathered together. The prophet Isaiah uses this term 20 times. It's often a gospel word, echoing our text in chapter 7. He will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Later, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, chapter 40. But it's not just Israel. Chapter 56, the Lord Yahweh who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to it, to his house, to his temple, besides those who are already gathered. And then the climax in the last chapter. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. But returning to our text, they will gather to your light, 
Light in the darkness takes us back to Egypt in the ninth plague when Moses stretched out his hand and the darkness became so thick it was palpable. But the real miracle was not the darkness. The real miracle was that all the people of Israel had light where they lived, Exodus chapter 10. And that light traveled with them in the wilderness and it flooded the tabernacle and later the temple. Isaiah foretold that it would come to Jerusalem and now on this Gentile Christmas, the festival of our Lord's Epiphany, it has come to us. John writes, in, the, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The Magi followed the star. They have gathered, as Isaiah describes it in chapter 34, for the mouth of Yahweh has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. God does it by, God does it through his spirit who calls, gathers, and enlightens, who declares in the water of baptism, you are mine. You, the goyim, those outside the covenant have been gathered to the light. You are now the citizens of Zion, the mystery that Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. That we who had no covenant, who were no people, are now sons and daughters of Abraham. Isaiah exclaims in, in verse 5, You shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. He's describing the coming of the light, the coming of Christ. And as the adopted citizens of Zion, now you see. But the epiphany of our Lord resembles his advent. There is both a now and a not yet aspect to the appearing of the light. As the baptized, we continue to live in a dark place. Dan Meyer, a pastor from Oakbrook, Illinois, recalls, when I was a teenager, I met a man who had this disturbing way of pointing things out that I found downright uncomfortable. In one discussion, John suggested that I didn't know as much about myself as I thought I did. And furthermore, I would probably never change. <laughs> I hurled back at him that he was wrong. I understood myself pretty well. And I was on top of most things in most parts of my life. And what was he to tell me that I could never change if I decided to? Then John said something that blew me apart and left me standing dazed and silent among the ruins of my self-perception. Dan, he said, there are things about you you can never change. The reason you can never change them is you can't see them. The reason you can't see them is that you are using them to see. Many years have gone by since then, but the truth of that man's observation has only sifted deeper and deeper into my soul. I've come to realize how hard genuine change of character and behavior is for me, how hard it is for me to discern what needs to be changed about me, because my perception about myself and the world around me is so distorted. Like the man who corrected me, God gently says to us, I understand why you see things the way you do. I know that you look at your heart and it doesn't look bad, but that's simply because you're using it to see. In truth, you are darkened in your understanding and separated from the life I want to give you because of the ignorance that is in you due to the hardening of your heart. But if you allow me, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, as the prophet Jeremiah predicted. Isaiah is here to announce 
that God has done that by his grace. In God's grace, we have a new heart. We can see. We can see because Christ has come to us, to the Gentiles as well. Then you shall see and be radiant. Isaiah's language here is very unique. You will be radiant. Translating it as a state of verb makes better English, but it sidesteps a lot of the wonder of the prophet's message. This word only appears three times as a verb in the Hebrew Bible. Yet it shows up 120 times as a noun. It's the common word for river. Picture any of the rivers in this land of many waters. Better yet, better still, remember last summer when we had our church picnic up at Kilchus Park? Many of you waded in the river after lunch or watched some of the children as they did. It was a bright, sunny day, and the light dazzled. It shimmered off the surface of the water as it flowed over the rocks and the riffles. That is the image that Isaiah paints of our hearts, shimmering in the light of God's Christ's coming. It's David in Psalm 34. I sought Yahweh, and he answered me and delivered me from all my foes. Those who look to him are radiant. They shimmer with reflected light, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The challenge of the shimmering, the not yet side of the feast of our Lord's Epiphany, is this. How well do we reflect the salvation that is brought to us in Christ? The water of baptism has long since dried on our foreheads. Sin and darkness creeps into our lives, creeps into our conversations. Doubts, the toehold of unbelief, tarnish the mirror of our heart. As a mirror is powerless to clean itself, so also our hearts. But that's the great good news of Epiphany. Christ has come. He came to shed his blood on the cross, and that blood strips the tarnish away in order that the brilliant light of Christ reflects in our world. The famous English preacher Charles Hayden Spurgeon once told his students, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. When you speak of hell, well, your everyday face will do just fine. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill. The Old Testament word, Isaiah's word thrill, is not exactly a quiver in the liver. Only 25 times do we find this word, and almost always it refers to physical, a visceral response of abject terror. For example, Isaiah chapter 19. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble, shudder as in childbirth with fear before the hand of Yahweh. Almost always, but not here. It is exactly the opposite. They, we, tremble in great joy at the coming of the light, the coming of Christ. Lynn Hill reports that on Easter Sunday, our minister, trying to emphasize the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, asked the children if they noticed any changes in the music from previous weeks. For the last few Sundays, the music has been slow and somber, he said. But today it's upbeat and cheerful. Do you know why? No one mentioned a response. No one, that is, until the organist's three-year-old daughter piped up, because Daddy's been practicing all week. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father has been practicing, planning, promulgating for centuries in preparation of this event, the epiphany of his son. Merry Christmas. 
Then, with renewed zeal, even in hardship, especially in trials, the thrill and joy of Christ's coming shivers our timbers. Now our heart will thrill and exalt, the prophet exclaims. You know, frankly, I have really no clue how our translation got here. Thrill and exalt. The New American Standard Bible has thrill and rejoice. NIV offers throb and swell with pride. But the King's English comes closest rendering, shall fear and be enlarged. What kind of a medical condition is an enlarged heart? I don't know. Perhaps you'll get a better feel for that word in a different context. Psalm 18. He, that's Yahweh, brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. In his Christmas letter, one of my seminary prophets asked, how do you know when you've been brought to a broad place? Because you've been hemmed in, pressed down by hardship and danger for so long. In the New Testament, the common word for this tribulation means literally to press on, pressured, to be hemmed in. You can't move freely. You can't escape. Now, with the epiphany of our Lord, God has brought us into this broad place. You are forgiven. The weight of sin and guilt drop away. You are light in heart, your hearts that reflect the light that has done. First on Jerusalem and now on the Gentiles as well. Isaiah says, then, now you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Or returning to our sermon hymn, dawn on our darkness that we may see our need and see our salvation in Christ. Like the star of the east, we shimmer with the light of salvation, the salvation revealed in Christ. That the star of the east will guide us. We tremble in anticipation. The revelation is too marvelous. Guide where our infant redeemer is laid, for our hearts are open wide in exaltation. God has gathered us into his kingdom. Merry Christmas. May the joys of epiphany light light up our lives. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.